Let's give them another hand. Amen. Amen. The only thing that I don't like is they didn't let me sing a song. Amen. They always hating on me. That's all right. It's Christmas, but New Year's coming. I'm going to sing me a song. Amen. 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 Well, good evening. Merry Christmas to you. Amen. Amen. We'll get right to the message. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. You know, when you're reading the Christmas story, we often read the words in verse 1 of this passage of Scripture, and we skip right past some very important words. It says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is an important character in the Christmas story. We often treat him like he's just an extra. That he sent out the decree seems like it's just an extra being played in the big role of the Christmas story, but he actually played a big role. You see, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man alive at the time of Jesus' birth. He was arguably the most powerful human being in history up to that point. If anybody thought he was completely in control, it was Augustus. He was an impressive guy. He was a powerful guy. His original name was Octavian. And when he was a young boy, he was adopted by a man named Julius Caesar and named as the heir to his throne. Well, as a teenager, Julius Caesar was killed. You might remember the line, the famous line from Shakespeare where Julius Caesar said, et tu brute, talking about his friend who had just stabbed him. After a civil war, the young man that he had adopted, named Octavian, took over as the emperor of Rome. Well, Octavian proved to be a very stealthy leader. He was a very competent leader. He was later named Caesar Augustus, and he became the first emperor of the Roman Empire. During his reign, he accomplished a lot. He built up the empire. He ushered in a time of unparalleled prosperity for Rome. Through military victories, he doubled the size of the empire, adding Egypt, Spain, and much of Europe. He was also an ambitious builder, which not only included huge buildings, but also great cities. He connected the empire through an elaborate highway system, and he instituted the world's first postal system. He developed Rome's first standing professional army. And he began a 200-year period of peace known as the Pax Romana. He ruled the civilized world for 
over 45 years and he was not just called a king, but he was such a king that the people came to call him a king of kings. Caesar was a proud man. He was a powerful man. He was an ambitious man. He was the first and arguably the greatest emperor of Rome. But you see, to do all that he did, to accomplish all that he accomplished, it didn't come cheap. Which means that he had to tax the empire in new ways that they had never been taxed before. That's why we find the decree that we read about in Luke chapter 2. Because in order to establish a budget and establish a, a revenue stream, he ordered that the census be done so that everybody could be recorded in tax. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And when you think about that, it's really amazing. Here's a man who is so powerful that he says one word and millions of lives are altered. Here's a man who says one word and millions of people have to travel back to their town of origin in order to register for the census. That would be like the president of the United States saying that everybody in the United States has to go back to where they were born and register for a census. With that kind of power, you wouldn't be surprised to learn that Augustus thought he was in control of things. But what he didn't realize was there was something far more powerful at play here. Something that was way beyond what he could understand and he had no idea just how out of control he actually was. Because behind the whole story of his decree was not just one who was called king of kings, but the one who actually was and is the king of kings. Behind this whole story was not just a man who would be memorialized as a god, but it was the one true and living God. You see, behind this story was the grand mover who was not Augustus, but someone we know as Jehovah. Augustus was being used by God, and he didn't even know it. He was furthering the kingdom of another king, and he didn't even have a clue. He felt like the big man on campus, the one in complete control, and he had no idea how small he actually was. Some of us are like Augustus. We like to control things. We like to think that we're in control of things. We like to run our own kingdoms. I saw on the Oprah Winfrey show there was a story about a woman, a wife, who wanted to control her husband. And that's nothing new. Husbands, I just went down somebody's aisle. Husbands, look up here. Don't get it. It's Christmas. Don't. Don't get in trouble. Stay up here. She's going to take your gift back to Walmart. Stay. But, but the, the extent to which this woman was controlling was crazy. She told him how to comb his hair. She wanted to tell him how to hold his fork. She wanted to tell him what to eat. She wanted to tell him what he couldn't eat. 
She kept a calendar to see what he was doing so she could keep tabs on him. She had a notebook full of rules. Now, fellas, I ain't in your house and I ain't trying to get in your business. But I think it's safe to assume that your wife don't have a notebook full of rules. She don't want to be that controlling. And if she does, you need to contact the counseling center. <laughs> Some of us are controllers. Anybody here you know a controller? Don't look at him. Stay here. Stay here. <laughs> if you can't think of anybody... And the people on your row are looking at you right now? <laughs> Chances are. <laughs> Controllers want to change people. They want to run their own kingdom. And the problem with being a controller is when I am in control, I leave no room for God to do anything in my life. The problem with being a controller is that in order for God to control my life, me and him can't be in control. Point to any area of your life where you're waiting for God to move. And I dare you to ask yourself the question, is God waiting for me to move so that he can? I tell parents this with kids all the time. Not, I'm not talking about little ones. I'm talking about young adult kids. Problem with little ones is many parents don't control them, but that's another sermon. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I tell them with these young adults, you got to allow, as long as you're trying to run their life, God can't run their life. And sometimes what we got to do is step aside and allow God to do his thing in their life. Listen, when we're in control, what we got to learn to do is release control and by our actions say, Lord, I'm giving this to you for you to do whatever it is that you wish. Well, Pastor, how do I know that I can do that? Because God is good. That's how I know. How you know God is good? Because only a good God would send his only son. For a bunch of people who ain't worried about him. A bunch of people who have declared themselves enemies to him. Only a good God would send his only son to die on a cross for the sole purpose of being tortured and, and beaten and ridiculed and put to death for a bunch of people who don't know him and don't even like him. Only a good God would do that. Watch verse 4. I got to go. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem. He went to Bethlehem, the town of David. Why? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So on the one hand, you have Julius Caesar, who thinks he's in control, not Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, who thinks he's in control of everything. And on the other hand, you have Mary and Joseph, who have to be feeling like life is totally out of control. I mean, imagine Mary. You're about 13 years old, and an angel comes to you and tells you, you're pregnant. And you're going, but I ain't did nothing to be pregnant. And the angel says, but you're pregnant. Can't you imagine Mary saying, well, you got to explain that to my mama. 
And then imagine that you're Joseph. An angel comes to you and says, your fiance is pregnant. But don't you worry about it, bro, because she ain't did nothing to be pregnant. And in Joseph's mind, I'm sure he was going, the only women I know that ever got pregnant were women who were doing something to get pregnant. And then he decides to stick it out with her. And then this emperor sends out a decree and says, right about the time that she's ready to have the baby, you have to go back to your town of origin and register for this census. Now understand that for Mary and Joseph, this was a 70-mile donkey ride. While she was nine months pregnant, on a trip that they could not afford. I, I want you to get this. Most people back then were working class people. They couldn't afford to just up and go to Disneyland, go to the beach for the weekend. When you say to them, I want you to take a few days off of work, that meant they got to afford this, and most of them were living day to day. Uh, we might know it as check. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then this guy comes along, the king, and says, while you're nine months pregnant, Mary, I want you to take a 70-mile donkey ride on a trip that you can't afford. And if you know the story, then you know that in Bethlehem, in a manger, a feeding trough, in a stable, is where they had this baby. That wasn't plan A for Joseph and Mary. And if you're Joseph and Mary, you gotta feel like life was out of control. You gotta be going, Lord, this cannot be plan A that you have for us. But what looked like a disruption for Joseph and Mary is exactly where God wanted them to be. Because hundreds of years before, it was prophesied that a savior would be born in Bethlehem. And in order for that to come to pass, Mary needed to be in Bethlehem when she gave a birth. And that was right where Caesar's decree sent them. So God took what Caesar thought he was controlling. And what Mary and Joseph thought they were not controlling. And he used it for his benefit. What's your point, preacher? When we look at our world, a lot of times we can conclude, like Mary and Joseph concluded, that this world is out of control. With all of the evil and the unrest that's going on, all of the diseases rampant and death everywhere and the stuff going on in our lives, sometimes you got to wonder who's at the wheel. And for some of us, we feel like Mary. The world time of our lives, God sends along a donkey ride and forces us to take a trip that we don't want to take. Doesn't life have a way of taking you on some rides that you don't want to go on? Donkey rides, like circumstances that just don't make sense. Donkey rides like sickness. Donkey rides like heartbreak. Donkey rides like being separated from loved ones. Donkey rides like not knowing of, like dealing with a lost child. Donkey rides like family issues. Donkey rides and life rides that just have you wondering, God, are you really in control? Because it sure doesn't feel like. 
Well, I stopped by here to tell somebody that when you're on the donkey rides of life, when you don't understand, when your circumstances in your life just don't make sense, I, I just wanted to remind you of something. I stopped by to let you know that like we saw with Caesar Augustus, God is good because he sent his son. But also, like we saw him align it with Joseph and Mary, not only is God good, but God is in control. Now, these two things go together like peanut butter and jelly. They go together like peas and carrots, like Forrest Gump said. They go together like chicken and dumplings, like Pastor Nate said. God is good, and not only is God good, but God is in control. Why do they go together, Pastor Nate? Because if God was good, but he wasn't in control, that wouldn't do me any good. I know a whole lot of good people who can't do anything about my situation. And if God was in control, but he wasn't any good, that wouldn't do me any good either. As a matter of fact, it would probably make my life a whole lot worse. But the fact that God is good, and the fact that God is in control lets me know that I can have peace despite my situation. It lets me know that no matter what's going on in my life, my God is good and he's in control. So come what may, from day to day, I have no need to fret and no need to worry. Why? Because I serve a God who's good. And he's in control. The Bible says that he watches over the lilies of the field. And they neither toil nor spin. The Bible says he watches over the birds of the air. The Bible says they wake up and they go to chirping like chirp, 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 chirp. What they chirping by? They saying God's got a worm for me somewhere. Why? Because God is good and he's in control. And if God watches over the sparrow, if he watches over something as insignificant as a bird, what need I to worry? I know my God watches over me because not only is he in control, but my God is good. I stopped by here to tell you tonight, what are you worried about during this Christmas season? What, what you going into the holidays burdened down with, stressed out about, worrying yourself about. Don't you know we serve a God who's in control? And not only is he in control, but our God is good. The fact that he sent his son lets us know those two things. And I wanted to remind you of that tonight with every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God's good. He's in control. But for some of us, it doesn't matter. Because we're like Caesar. We're running our own lives. And because we're running our own lives, we have yet to realize how good God is. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who trusts in him. Notice what he said, oh, taste 
and see that the Lord is good. That means in order to know that he's good, you have to try him. And then here's what he says. He promises, he says, happy is the man who trusts in him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Please listen, listen, listen. I, I don't know what gifts you might be receiving this holiday season, but I can promise you this. Whatever it is, it pales in comparison to the gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to offer that to you tonight. We never like to close our services without doing it. Pastor Nate, how do I receive that gift? Romans 10 and 9 tells us clearly that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to offer you that gift tonight of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You should taste and see that the Lord is good. I challenge you to try it. You won't be sad that you did. How do I do it, Pastor Nate? If tonight you want to receive that gift, I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. And you're praying this prayer to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you or anything like that. But just right there in your seat, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of you. I thank you for the gift of your son that you sent during this season. And tonight I'm accepting him as my Lord and Savior. I'm asking you to come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. Thank you for being my Savior. It's in Christ's name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe if you pray that prayer, you receive Jesus into your heart. The Bible says confess. That means tell somebody. And I want to give you the opportunity to tell me, Pastor Nate, I just prayed that prayer. I just accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Call you down or call you out or anything like that. But you can confess it to me. You can tell it to me by simply raising your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand in the back.